Hey guys, great, you can take your seats, you can sit down, what an exciting time it is in the life of the church and the calendar of the year, elections yesterday, I'm, uh, I live down in Logan for those of you who don't know and um, that's a interesting town and, uh, and uh, we've, uh, we down there, we've got to, I've got to say, uh, I 100% agree with Sam, it's great to see men of righteousness uh, that uh, have the voice of God and the anointing of God on their life to stand up in their community and say, hey, I've got something to contribute. Um, and I love to see that. We've got the same thing happening down in Logan. Um, uh, We've got, we got a mayor who is a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, has now become the mayor of Logan. And uh, at his, yeah, I think it's worth clapping. Uh, in, his, uh, in his acceptance speech, even with Channel 7, Channel 9, everyone there, uh, his very first thing he said is, I have to thank my Father in heaven and his Son, Jesus Christ. Um, and, uh, and I think it's great uh, when leaders uh, from the church community decide, you know what, I also want to use the gifts and abilities that God has given me and the anointing of Holy Spirit to also be a leader in my community and in my nation. Uh, and we need that. It's discouraged, uh, but we need it. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you're following uh, the Logan election at all, probably not at all. He probably barely followed Morton, for that matter. <laughs> Most of us don't, uh, but, uh, but there was a councillor down there who, uh, who got on because um, the mayor is, like I said, very open about his Christianity and one of the councillors who wasn't quite supporting him uh, was, uh, basically got on, uh, on Facebook and did a video and said, um, you know, I just want to congratulate you at speaking to the other mayoral candidate on, on not taking the backing of the churches, especially those wacko Pentecostal guys. Called us all wackos, right? Which is, first of all, at first we were kind of like, wow, that's a bit full on and a little bit offensive. Um, slight discrimination there. Um, but then in his acceptance speech last night, he said, the wackos got through. So, <laughs> so now we're using it as a badge of honour. But I think, uh, once again, I just want to congratulate Sam. I'm so glad we're part of a community that stands up in Jimmy and, and also Simon who says, you know, we got something to contribute and I think we should be proud of that. Um, and I really, let's give these three guys a big round of applause for saying that. It's great. It is, a, it is Easter, the Sunday before Easter, Easter and uh, for those of you who know me and have heard me preach before, I do love Easter. It's one of my favourite times of the year, mostly for the chocolate factor. And, um, and I want to, oh yeah, and Jesus dying on the cross and taking sin and all that sort of stuff, that's in there too. But the chocolate factor... Um, I've got to let you know a little secret. I usually like, um, you just want to write this down, lint, dark chocolate, sort of uh, 85% lint, dark chocolate. Um, and I'm in Coles and I'm you know, buying my lint chocolate, or lint mint, I love that too. Uh, and I'm, I'm scanning, and the, the, uh, the, the lady serving me says, have you tried lint white chocolate? And I come a bit like you know, a serious chocoholic. And do you say white chocolate to a chocoholic? It's like, please. I know I live in Bethania, but white chocolate. <laughs> but anyway, curiosity got the better of me, and I actually ended up buying a block of, of lint white chocolate. And dear Lord Jesus, there is now something else that needs to be broken off my life because <laughs> I just I have fallen in love with lint white chocolate. I need to get back to my 85% uh, and not living so carnally. But, uh, but Easter is good, and... Uh, it is a time of celebration as much as it is a time we remember the death and sacrifice of Jesus. It really is a time of celebration, time to be happy and to rejoice in the life and the liberty that we have. 
and the reality of the Christian life, is, which is a reality of freedom, and it's a reality of happiness and overflowing abundance of joy. Do you agree with me? If you do, give me a yeah. yeah. All right. Let's talk about sin. Uh, that escalated quickly, didn't it? <laughs> Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And for those of you playing at home, it is up on the screen. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put a, the man whom he had formed... And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hikadel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded him, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and, and God has provided for them everything that they could possibly want or hope for or need and everything that they are going to need to sustain them physically, spiritually or emotionally is in that garden. And in the centre of that garden is a river. It's a river that actually uh, feeds the garden and brings life to the rest of the garden. And there's also a tree in the middle of that garden, two trees, in particular the tree of life. And it is placed in the centre of, of the garden, likewise in an image of supplying life and nutrients and the source of life to everything else in the garden, including Adam and Eve, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what I want to take you on a journey on today is the story of three trees. I was never good at maths and you've noticed there's only two trees on stage at the moment. Have a little faith, we'll get there. I want to tell you the story of three trees. Because in many ways the story of human history and the story of salvation can actually be summed up in three trees. Now salvation is one of those uh, topics that you could, if, if, if the topic of salvation was a lake, it would be deep enough for an elephant to swim in, but it would also be gentle enough for a child to wade in. You, we, we can really, salvation in its strength is beautifully simple, uh, but it's also uh, inextricably complicated in its application, which only the mind of God could have conceived in its unraveling throughout human history. So while we unravel it, don't worry, I'm going to leave it simple because it's beautifully simple in its application. How about we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to get around your word, to search out who you are and to learn more about you. Father, as we share this time together and fellowship around the person Jesus Christ, God, we just release your presence and your anointing in this room. Lord, that it would be your words and your mind that we would understand this morning. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We have two trees that we're going to focus on. This morning, here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And here is the tree of life. And they're in the Garden of Eden. Now, I want to unfold something else for you about the Garden of Eden. See, because we get further insight into what was the, in the Garden of Eden through Ezekiel 28. And, and God had made the Garden of Eden and he had placed man inside of it. But we also, in Ezekiel 28, find out that there was a mountain of God in the Garden of Eden. And it very much was where God was, would make decrees and he would rule and reign and, and over the Garden of Eden as well. It was almost like heaven ended and earth began and it was a meeting place where the two were, were combined and Adam and God would have fellowship. They would uh, abide in each other. God would come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day and Adam would fellowship with God. And it, the picture that we get of Adam is actually one of a king and a priest. So not only does he have dominion over creation, over the animals, and to tend to the garden with dominion and authority like a king, he's been placed there like a king in his kingship. He has also been placed there as a priest. He is the voice of God. He is ministering. He is the original administration of God and his kingdom as a priest in the Garden of Eden, which is the plan of God right from the beginning of time, is that humanity would be kings and priests to him and for him. And as we get the picture of the fact that Adam is a king and a priest in that garden, we also get our first glimpse at grace because Adam didn't do anything to become a king or a priest. As a matter of fact, God made the man and put him in the garden. God had prepared a place for him and put Adam in it, not of any of his own works, not of any of his own doing, but purely out of the goodness and the glory of God. And in Eden, we see that humanity was made and placed in Eden where God's glory, God's goodness, God's greatness, God's awesomeness, God's supply, God's life, God's joy, everything humanity could have ever wanted, the absolute essence of love, joy, peace, hope, and wholeness was in that Garden of Eden. It was perfect, it was harmonious, and it all revolved around the glory and the goodness of God which Adam got through the grace of God, not of his own works. But he stuffed it. He really did. And as we see the plan of salvation unfold, we see that God is still trying to get us back to being a kingdom of kings and priests. He then establishes Israel to be a nation of kings and priests. But that doesn't quite work out. They mess it up as well. So then he gets a tribe inside that nation called Judah to be uh, kings and priests, but that doesn't quite work out. So he gets a family line, the Davidic line, to be kings and priests, but that doesn't quite work out either. So it comes down to one man, Jesus Christ, who then establishes a never-ending kingship and priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, which we now got narrowed down to Jesus Christ, now broadens through his church and we partake in being a nation and a people unto God that is special unto God who are kings and priests. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a king and a priest. See, the, the essence of the lie that Satan came to Adam and Eve with was he, he came to them and, and he said, God told you not to eat of this fruit. This was the only tree that they couldn't eat of. The Bible leaves out the fact that they weren't allowed not to eat the tree of life. So we assume from that that they were probably allowed to eat from the tree of life. Originally, man lived eating from the tree of life. This was the only tree that was actually forbidden for them to eat. And so we've narrowed down the sin to being an act of disobedience, but it was so much more than that. 
It was so much more than just a simple mere act of disobedience. See, because this was where the knowledge of good and evil was. That was God's rightful place in declaring what was good, what wasn't good, and how to define it and how to determine it was in the place that God had put himself, and rightly so. And Adam was not equal with God. He was made in the image of God, and he was subservient to that That was the knowledge of good and evil. And when Satan tried to convince Adam to be equal with God, it was a ludicrous temptation because in every essence, Adam already had every single bit of goodness that God had to offer already and was already made in the image of God. He was essentially snatching at something that he already had. But while he was snatching at it, What he did is he ultimately replaced God as the ultimate source of good and evil, placing himself there, humanity there, as its own source of the knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, it wasn't just a mere act of disobedience. What they did is they usurped God, they supplanted God, they took him down and placed themselves in his place. See, that's just not disobedience. That actually ruins the whole structure. The whole structure was that God was in the Garden of Eden, abiding with man, where man was a king and a priest, had everything that God had to offer already. There was nothing that he withheld, including the tree of life. But yet man made himself morally autonomous and subjugated God to his own will which destroyed the harmony of the whole working order of creation. And the result wasn't just an infection of Adam, it was an infection of all created, all that was in Adam and all that was in nature. So the fruits that came was the first time ever death was tasted by humanity. That was the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Another fruit was poverty. For the first time ever, poverty ended up entering humanity. Guilt was tasted for the first time by humans in the Garden of Eden, and conflict started to enter in. They started to blame each other. He said, that was that woman that you put in the garden. And the woman was like, no, it was the serpent. Shame came in. They started trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. Sickness entered the the world. Brokenness entered the world. But most importantly, this is the main fruit that we experienced in humanity. It was separation. We were no longer one with God. We were separated. When the Bible talks about death, it mostly talks about separation. Apart from if they're going out to battle and whatever, that might actually, physical death. But even physical death, really, the concept is when the spirit gets separated from the body. It doesn't, life doesn't cease at death, it just gets separated. The spirit gets separated from the body. And so when the Bible talks about death, it talks about separation. When death entered the world, it's because we were separated from God. Our spirit was separated, our body was separated, our mind was separated, and that separation and that death came because we wanted to place ourselves up above. Humankind throughout them usurped God, but Jesus reversed it. 
Which is why in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Adam tried to be equal. Jesus took the total opposite reaction and response. He said, you, God, you want me to be lower than you? No problem at all. I come to serve. As, as Pastor Sam pointed out this morning, he's happy to come on a donkey. He didn't consider it robbery to come on a donkey. He came as the servant of love, and quite happily so. The practical application of what Adam did was what's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. And don't put your truth on me. The only problem is he wasn't saying it to his neighbor in 2016 in a multicultural society. He was saying it to God Almighty himself, the moral lawgiver. We try to do the same thing today in a thousand different ways. We try to self-legislate still. We want to enjoy beauty, music and love. We place a high value on goodness and justice and hope. But we want them to exist outside the reality of moral absolutes and the concept of evil. We want to talk of liberty and freedom, but we talk about them in waves that actually enslave us to our own brokenness and fragility. We become victims at our own hands, and we do it by causing it through the freedom that God actually gave us in the first place. We enslave ourselves with our own God-given freedom. We want His hope without His way. We want His truth without His life. We want His existence We want his life without his existence. What I'm saying is we want God's goodness, but not his definition of good. The same sin that Adam did at the beginning of time is the same sin that our society is doing today, saying, God, we don't need you in our nation. We don't need you in our schools. We don't need you to define anything for us. We're quite capable of defining whatever we want to define, and we'll redefine it if we want to. And when the fruit of the redefinitions and the replacing of God in our lives and in our nation comes about, no wonder it is the same poverty, sickness, brokenness and separation that we saw at the beginning of the world. One of the main things that Adam and Eve lost was the tree of life. It was taken away. God said, we can't have Adam and Eve eating of eternal life fruit in this fallen state. So that tree was removed, and Adam was kicked out of the garden. He, he had to then toil. He then had to work on a cursed land. He had to live under the curse. That was also another part of the fruit. And the tree of life, though, is found again. It reappears in the best book of the Bible, which is... Thank you, Harry. Good man. Revelation 22, at the very end, we see the tree of life reappear. This is in heaven. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no more night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Imagine a fruit tree. Every single month has a different fruit. January would be mangoes. February would be strawberries. March would be mangoes. <laughs> I can't get away from mangoes. I wonder if I can get a mango tree. Just, that can be my tree of life. I don't need 12 different ones. The tree of life is now in eternity. It got taken away from earth, out of the garden. Now it's in eternity. It's in heaven. It also has some fruit that we're going to have a look at later on. But see, there's a comparison to what we see in Eden and what we see in the new heaven. If you just want to turn the screen, you want to get that up to nice. There is, in the, in the Garden of Eden, we have a river. In the new heavens and the new earth, we have a river of life. In Eden, we had a tree of life. In, in the new heaven, we have a tree of life. In Eden, we had human innocence. In, in heaven, we got redeemed humanity. In Eden, we're spoiled by sin, but in heaven, no sin is even allowed to enter. It will be fully removed, not only from us, but also from creation and the universe. In Eden, we were spoiled by sin. Oh, I just went through that. Uh, in Eden, sun and moon. In, in heaven, no need of sun. In Eden, redemption promised. In the heavens, redemption is realized. In Eden, we were banished. But in heaven, we have eternal residence with God, back in the original plan, abiding with God, God abiding, abiding with us as the kings and priests, ministering and abiding and living in the glory and the goodness of God. Is anybody excited about our future? But there's a problem. How do we get there? That's in heaven. How do we access the tree of life again? You see, because heaven is the reality of earthly shadows. What we see on earth is actually a shadow of what's already established in heaven. And although we don't have time to go into it, the temple that you see on earth is actually just a shadow of the temple that already exists in heaven. The relationship that we saw on earth between God and Adam is actually only a shadow of what the relationship that he had intended for us. The tree in the Garden of Eden is only a shadow of the paradise that God has actually got made for us in heaven. And, and really, what's in heaven is actually the original source and the more real, tangible existence than what we have here on planet earth. We really do live in the matrix. And I am about to give you the red pill. No, I'm not. I talked about that on, uh, on Monday night. We see the tree of life. It has also leaves that heal the nation. Now, let's talk about that word heal because it's, it's a Greek word. I want you to misunderstand. It's a Greek word called therapeian, which, which if you'd understand, you'll hear that it's very similar to therapy which is exactly what the tree of life does. So the, the, the leaves are for the healing of the nation. We see that in Ezekiel in the, in the future millennial reign, but we also see it in heaven. But don't, uh, don't get too misconstrued by that because um, the, we're not going to need any therapy in heaven because it's going to be a perfect existence. But what I want you to understand is that the tree of life gives sustenance and everything that we need. Thera therapy or, or therapy 
is more closely aligned with ministering and serving and producing wholeness and supplying us with all we need. And so the original grace that we saw Adam supplied with is also the plan for us. We are to get everything that we need, all the sustenance that we require for our bodies, for our spirits, for our minds and our souls, is from the tree of life, Jesus himself, who will provide healing for our souls and for our bodies, for our minds and for the nations. But the tree of life also does a couple of other things. We see in the Bible, particularly in Proverbs, we see that it is wisdom. It also produces righteousness. It also produces desired, uh, fulfilled desires. It also produces a soothing tongue. It produces great fruit. Matter of fact, let's have a look at some of the fruit that the tree of life will produce. Healing, as we've already talked about. Healing of the nations. It produces wisdom. Who needs some wisdom? Who needs some wholeness? That'd be great. Imagine, imagine never, ever, ever having to take your kids to hospital again or to the doctors. Or yourself. Who cares about your kids? You don't have to go to the doctors. It'll bring you joy. No, I care about my kids. Just in case my wife's listening. Hope. That's one of my favorite words. Pastor Carolina knows that. Future hope. Happiness. Who likes to be happy? Let me tell you, you know, heaven, heaven is not a cloud playing a harp. We're actually going to be happy up there doing all sorts of really cool stuff. Probably watching soccer reruns and cricket world cups. There won't be any fishing in heaven though because that's just boring. <laughs> righteousness. Here is the fruit of the tree of life. It's righteousness. So here we have two trees. One produces brokenness and sickness and destruction. The other one produces righteousness, happiness, eternal life, joy and healing. But how do we get there? This is our problem and this is what Easter is all about because we have a third tree. We have a third tree. Here's a question for you. Why put this tree in the Garden of Eden in the first place? Ever wonder that? Ever been asked that by a non-Christian? It's a pretty common question, particularly those who want to challenge you. You say, well, well, if God knew that we would sin, why'd they put a tree of knowledge of good and evil there in the first place? And at first, it actually seems like a legitimate question, but it's actually not as tricky as what it first sounds. Ravi, to, to do it justice, I'm going to get Ravi to say it because he says it a lot better than me. Where there is the possibility of love, there has to be the reality of freedom. Where there is the reality of freedom, there has to be the possibility of pain. Where there is the reality of pain, there needs to be a saviour. And where there is a saviour, there is the possibility of redemption. Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. See, because for God, for us to fully enjoy all that he had, we had to have the opportunity to reject it. If we didn't have the opportunity to reject it, the only other alternative is that we would be forced to eat our fruit and vegetables. And nobody likes being forced to eat their vegetables. God wanted us to want broccoli. He wanted us to live in His wholeness and His goodness and His glory. He wanted us to be made in His image, not just another legion of angels who had to worship Him. 
And so if there was the possibility to reject him, there has to be the possibility of pain. There has to be the possibility of brokenness and suffering, particularly if we choose it. If we choose to not live in perfection, then less than perfection has to be the logical conclusion. But if we live in less than perfection, then suffering and brokenness is the natural result. But however, where there is pain, there is also a need of a saviour and a chance for redemption, which leads us to our third tree. The third tree is amazing. So much was achieved in one day. All of humanity and and human history revolves around this one day in many, many ways. Not only do we have the cross, but we also have the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This whole event around Easter is really the turning point of human history. You see, because on the one hand, we needed redeeming. We had already made a mistake. Like I said, Adam really stuffed up. Not just a little bit, quite a big bit. He didn't just rebel a little bit and disobey. He literally ruined the structure of the universe, both spiritually and physically. So what we needed somebody to pay for it, which is what redemption is. That's a fairly big word, but what it, what it, what it means is just redeemed, paid for. But see, the problem is, even if you just pay for the past, what about today? I mean, what happens if we eat the apple again? We've already paid for it once, but what what about today? See, because we need a second part to salvation, and that's sanctification, which means not only is our sin in the past paid for, it also means that today we're free from sin and doing it again. Now, this might happen for you in some areas of your life instantaneously. I know of people who have come to know Jesus and instantaneously they've been freed from drug addiction, from alcoholism, from, from smoking, from, from whatever, from whatever, fill in the blank, from whatever's less than perfect in God's plan for you. Some people have been freed like that, sanctified on the day, sure. But then there's other people who work through their salvation and actually it's a process of a month, maybe two months, maybe 10 years. The point is don't give up because the sanctification or this part of salvation means that it is an ongoing process of renewing who you are. But then there's e- it even gets better again. See, we're going to have a glorification. See, because our past gets paid for, we get free from sin today, right now. It's not, it's not in heaven. It's not like, okay, well, my past paid for. Now I've got to live like this terrible life, suffering from sin, but that's okay because one day, someday, I get to go to heaven. No, that, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, no, it's been paid for. You live in freedom and liberty today. As it is in heaven, it is on earth for us today. You live free from the power of sin today in every area of your life. There is to be no brokenness, no sickness, no destruction in your life today. We don't need to wait till heaven, but, but you know what? When we do get to heaven, we actually end up with a glorified body. It even Our spirit is instantaneously forever sealed in salvation our mind and our soul is, is constantly going through an, an, a, a constant improvement, but our body means in the future it'll be fully glorified. Yeah. I won't look like this in heaven. I know, thank God. <laughs> I won't have these kind of longish teeth and goofy smile. 
I'll probably have, I'll probably have broader shoulders, maybe a little bit less gray, less wrinkles, a little bit less. Everyone's like kind of awkward now. <laughs> it's okay, you're going to look better too. It's not just me. Your body, you're going to go through this too. Don't leave me hanging out here like I'm on my own. You're not going to look like that either. We're going to be free from sickness forever. We're going to be free from death forever. This third tree, the fruit that it produces, our past, our present, and our future. Now, that kind of got a little bit complicated. There was kind of some words over two or three syllables there. And if you're from Bethania like me, you could probably get lost really quickly. So let me simplify it really nice and easy. Because Galatians chapter 3.13 said, Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law. So everything that happened through the first Adam, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, first Adam, Adam, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, redeemed us from all of that curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Galatians says cursed, or Deuteronomy says actually, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so Christ became the curse for us so that we could have access to the third tree. Here's the human history, guys. Three trees. Curse, curse broken, the tree of life. This is our future because of what happened at Easter. Yeah. Let me break it down even further in Ephesians 2.4. Ephesians 2.4 is an exciting verse and I can't help but read it and get an excitement in my spirit about what God has got planned. Ephesians 2.4, it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see that? Even when we were dead in trespasses. Adam didn't do anything to deserve the Garden of Eden. It was by grace he was planted in the garden, put in the garden to experience all of God's goodness, much like us. We are saved by grace. We haven't done anything to deserve it, but we will live in God's Eden again because purely on what Jesus has done. He's raised us, raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show us, get ready for it, the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what? Sometimes people criticize the grace message saying it can't be that simple. It's too radical. Let me tell you, every single bit of grace is radical. It is a radical concept that we would do absolutely nothing to deserve God's goodness, to deserve God's eternal life, to take our brokenness and our destruction and to turn it into wholeness and joy. It is a radical concept that He would choose us even before we were born. But you know what? It gets even more radical according to Ephesians 2.4 because it says that the exceeding riches of His grace in the life to come. So you think grace is good now? You think grace is radical now? It's about to get stepped up when we go into heaven. We're going to see more of His riches, more of His grace, more of His joy. The fruit doesn't stop. The fruit keeps on giving. The fruit keeps on making us whole and restored. And we get more and greater glimpses of the glory that Jesus and the Father has planned for us in our lives. 
But let me sum it up all for you this way. I'm so glad after the destruction that was caused by the first tree and by Adam. I'm so glad because of the brokenness and the tragedy and the suffering that I see in the world around me that there is at least one verse in the Bible that says, but God. Aren't you glad there's a verse in the Bible that says, but God. It doesn't say, but Joshua. It doesn't say, but Nancy. No, 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 it says, but God. Nothing to do with us. But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much. That even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were living out of the fruit of poverty, out of the fruit of brokenness, the fruit of separation, the fruit of guilt, that we were living in the fruit of our own devastation that we brought in ourselves with the God-given freedom that He had bestowed on us, there was brokenness, but God was so rich in mercy and He loved us so much. You know, as that third tree shows you that no matter what happened in your past, no matter where you are today, no matter where your future might be heading at the moment, there's a verse in the Bible that says, but God. You might have a situation right now where it's actually, it's broken. Something's broken in your life. Something is still from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's still after the effects of that original tree. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, there is a verse in the Bible that says, but God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much. Why don't you stand to your feet while we start focusing on the fact that there is a verse that says, but God. Come on, let's start lifting up a praise clap to God right now. We thank You, God, for Your verse. We thank You that You're rich in mercy. We thank You that You loved us so much. Come on, let's worship God. Raise your hands to heaven right now. Thank You, God. partaken of this tree, the tree of salvation. This morning's about you. If there is anyone who's like, yeah, I've got that fruit in my life. I've got the fruit of brokenness in my life. There are things that are just stuffed up in my life at the moment. Well, the news this morning is that there is a verse that says, but God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that I want to invite an invitation for you to meet Jesus. If you want to meet Him, get to know Him, and this time choose. You know what? I'm going to choose you, Jesus. Instead of this tree, I'm going to put you in your rightful place. Let me tell you a real quick story. 
On the tree of Calvary, there was actually two trees either side, a thief on either side. And it's ironic because the same situation played out. One thief on this side, he said, you know what, I'm not going to put God in his rightful place and I'm still going to be my own boss eating my own fruit from my own self-legislating authority. Whereas the other thief, he said, are you kidding? Can't you see that he is God and that he wants the best for you? And you know what happened in that story? This guy here was the first guy in paradise eating from the tree of life. That same choice is ours today. Same choice is ours today. If there's anyone who wants to choose Jesus, why don't you give me a wave right now right across this room? Well, everybody, head is bowed. Thanks, man. I see that hand. That's awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else want to choose Jesus this morning? Thanks. I see that hand. That's awesome. Thank you both. God bless you. Anybody else? Anyone else want to choose Jesus and His fruit of eternal life? Anybody else? There's no better time to get saved than Easter time, that's for sure. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Both these guys over here, thank you so much. Come on, praise you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. One last chance. I don't want to move on too quickly without giving you a full opportunity to get to know the one, the tree of life, Jesus Himself. Awesome. We're just going to pray for those, those four people, God. We just thank you so much that you are so rich in mercy, that you love us so much. God, we thank you for these decisions right now. How about everyone just repeat after me, the whole church. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you took my brokenness. Because God, I admit that I didn't choose you first. But God, I choose you today. And I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And I choose him as my king. And I put him in his rightful place. Awesome. Why don't we give God a clap because there are four more people going to eat from the tree of life this morning. Praise God. That is awesome. Well, I just pray you have a blessed Easter celebrating the life, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and everything that he achieved. Why don't you go this week thinking about the fact that there is a verse in the Bible that says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. We'll see you out in the cafe. We'll see you tonight as well. Back to the Little Black Book series. God bless you, church.